Hello and welcome to Opening the Gates to More Listings for Estate Agents with me, Simon Gates, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Mr. Tony Ruby. Tony, thank you very much for joining me. Simon, thank you very much for having me. What a pleasure. Good stuff. So we're just speaking offline and you're coming from uh, the Continental Office, which is the back garden of your property in Grantham. That's right. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been the working from home space for probably the last three or four months during the good weather. And um treat yourself to a little bit of garden furniture make it sort of work quite well but it's also doubled as a bit of a studio we do some facebook lives and various other things with mortgage advisors and energy assessors and uh conveyances and all that sort of stuff and we tend to do one of them once a month and it's also actually doubled as a decent studio for that as well i think that's actually a really good place to start because we were speaking just before we hit record uh, uh, and i said oh hang on a minute is this your garden where you did a facebook live recently like i can't open up social media uh, without Tony Ruby, Ruby appearing. Uh, most, most apologies for that. <laughs> no, it's a good thing. So well, you've, you've obviously been doing that for a long time, not just since you've um, set up your own business uh, in the last year or so. So ha- where do you get that drive to do it and also the consistency? Because so many agents start, don't necessarily see instant gratification and, and stop. So can you talk us a bit through the sort of journey with that? Yeah, I think I think for me it became... I recognised that about six years ago that, you know, you would take your car in for a service and they would send you a little video clip of what was wrong with it and why they wanted to take £600 off you for whatever else it was that was going on. And I just thought, there's got to be a way to... So it's first started out really with valuation follow-ups. You know, in my mind, it was like, okay, well, if I could then deliver a valuation summary in two or three minutes, that would give on video and that would give both decision makers a chance to watch it get to see you get to know yeah. you get to hear you perhaps you know look you in the eye but also get a bit of an idea about who you are and and for me you know it was always about being straight honest delivering sort of a good quality information as best you can so that people get to believe and trust in you um and then i thought well if we can do that with video follow-up you know and there was a couple of systems we used we used to use um agent vox which turned into bomb bomb yeah. um Richard Rawlings, I think, was involved in that at some point. So we used that for many years. I must have sent two and a half thousand post valuation videos, but it was also really wow. useful for market updates as well because you could kind of also put a generic video together and send it out um, to your vendors or to your prospective buyers or whatever. It was really useful. I thought, well, if we can do that with, you know, trying to win the business in the first place, why can't we do that to expand the audience? of a property that's gone live and that that's the key there is expanding the audience you know we, we get i think too many agents get caught up in the thing of oh it's right move and zoopla but if you want to really deliver some value and a pro, you know different proposition to prospective sellers you know you've got to be seen to be doing more than just doing what everybody else is doing yeah um, so for me the opportunity to use then social media uh, and and link the video to it which of course is you know better than photographs better than just text seemed to be a natural progression i remember my first one it was outside of a property on hudson way number 43 um it was a bit of a windy day i was using an old iphone i got a shut selfie stick it was quite shaky uh, the, the 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 audio was terrible because the wind was quite howling down this road. It was a nice sunny day, but we sort of started out front. We introduced the property behind us. I sort of pointed out one or two that we'd sold in the neighbouring sort of couple of houses around. And we went in, I said to the seller, I said, just go with the flow. Let me see how this works. Um, because I had no idea whether it would work. Yeah. And, and I kind of you know, was bumbling around the house trying to avoid the cellars as much as possible <laughs> uh, and went through every room, just sort of showed it off and into the garden. And I suppose that's where it really started because you know, within a relatively short period of time, there was sort of 4,500, 5,000 plays on Facebook, for example. Wow. And, 
you know, you could then take that from there and push it out to your LinkedIn audience. And if you've worked hard on generating a local LinkedIn audience, that could also be beneficial to the prospective seller as well. And again, Instagram came in later on, did try Twitter, never really sort of gained any traction with that, found it very difficult. But to be fair, what it demonstrated to me was that people then could get to, as prospective sellers could see you were doing things slightly different. Yeah. Prospective sellers could get to know you a little bit, get to like you a little bit, get to trust you maybe a little bit as well. Um, they'd also be able to put a face to a name. You know, if they call you out then for evaluation, they've kind of got an idea of who's coming. And and for me, it kind of just broke down some barriers and it just snowballed from there. The difficulty, I think, is always with social media is that if you're not relentless and consistent, you won't you won't win. You know, it, it's got to be relentless consistency and you've got to do it. The days you don't want it, you've just got to do it. And you can't do it for just some listings and not others. You've got to make sure that is your kind of stock offering of your proposition. Um, because actually the flip side of all of this is that, yes, it helps build an audience, but it also helps build and engage a local audience of prospective home sellers. Yeah. Or your next listings, aren't they? Maybe this year, maybe next year, maybe not straight away. But you also get seen to be then probably somebody who's more passionate about what you do and believe in what you do. Um, you also get to sort of um, demonstrate differences that are very difficult to pinpoint within in, within this industry, you know, because as I said, people go, yeah, what's, your, what's your USP? Oh, yeah, well, we're, we're open eight days a week and 27 <laughs> a day. Well, is that really a difference? Oh, we've won this award. Mm, how much did you pay for that award? You know, there's, there's lots of different ways you can sort of talk about USPs, but actually doing something like that for me was really important. But the driving factor I didn't want to be number two agent doing it. I wanted to be the first agent doing it. And I didn't want somebody else in my area leading the way. And then I was having to sort of follow suit. Uh, I wanted to be the one that was kind of, I suppose, pioneering in that in that vicinity. Um, that kind of immediately made me think of first never follows. That sort of old cliche there. And you, I think you said about six years ago. So you literally got an iPhone out, selfie stick, mm. 2016, roughly. Is that what you said? Yeah, pretty, pretty pretty much like that and i'll explain why i mean again for me at the time as an agent employed as a valuer to go out and list 30 houses a month you know for me there was a, a trigger point again if we put it down to the whys of why you know I, I was paid a certain amount per listing um and if we hit 30 it doubled up so for me it was like right how can i get myself out to more valuations in the first instance to have a chance um you know Obviously, most people will have sometimes one agent, sometimes two, sometimes three, sometimes four. But I would say two and a half is kind of your average number of agents yeah. out to each valuation or something along those lines. Um, and for me, it was like, right, well, if I can get into this, the head of the seller early enough, then maybe when it comes to that point of picking up the phone and going, right, who am I going to ring for evaluation today or next month or whatever it is? our name would be one of them. And I knew once I was there, I'd have as good a chance as any then of securing the business. And that would then pay me further down the line yeah. in terms of commissions for for, for paying. And that, yeah, that wasn't the primary driving factor. Like for me, it was, a, it was a means to be able to do that that was more tech edged than just sending out consistent letters to the same yeah. people on the market, but actually trying to pick the fresh listings, you know, the stuff that's not yet seen the light of day for 20 years, 30 years. Yeah. Just on, on, there's a couple of things I want to break down there, but on one of the things uh, you've just said about some people might get one agent out, two, three, four, on average, two and a half, let's call it. There must have been occasions, though, because of the presence you had as a like local digital mayor, as we know it, there must have been occasions where there's some people you went out to where they would probably typically 
get two or three agents but actually you were the only agent because they trusted you so much before they'd even met you because they felt like they knew you would that be fair yeah. to say yeah categorically i think there's um you know agents like the likes like blow, blow their own trumpets but there was without a doubt times where you know it would almost be said well you know yeah, you know, messaging to my Facebook inbox. You know, I just want to put my house on the market. Um, didn't ask about fees. Didn't ask. You know, who, I didn't ask who else was going. I never, I never assumed that. I always knew other people were likely to go, but I never wanted. I didn't care who else was going. You know, for me, it was like give me the chance to come and see you, and we'll talk, and hopefully, then you can do enough in the appointment, the interview, if you like, to be able to secure the job in the first instance. But there was definitely times where I remember coming back from furlough, May twenty twenty. And I reckon in that month of May, well, I think I went back to work on the 18th of May. And I think in the next four weeks, okay, the market was hot already before yeah. the stamp holiday. But I must have had six or seven instructions into my Facebook inbox. They'd kind of cut out the middleman and just come straight direct. And, of course, then you start thinking about the bigger picture and you start thinking about, okay, what am I bringing to the table? And then what am I earning out of it from from all that sort of groundwork you put in? You know, I was never once asked to go out and do a Facebook video for you know, let's try this, you know, Tony, have a go at this, see what you think. It was, it was really, it was, but it was never intended. Some people have said, well, that's quite clever, isn't it? You, you kind of built your own brand while you were employed. Yeah. Never the intention. That was never the intention. But it started to become quite clear that it was building yeah. something that I, well, I was like a byproduct. It, it was, it was something I never intended at all. Um, and I think further down the line, then you start to see people just bringing you that opportunity. Like I said, there, there was no, it removed competition. You know, again, brutally, it removed fee objections. It removed so much, so many of the hurdles most agents find. Yeah, stops them develop delivering the numbers consistently. I just wrote down a couple of things you said there. It removed the competition. It removed the element of you know discussion of fees and something you said right back towards the beginning of the podcast. Expanding your audience. Mm. Uh, I really like that that language you you use there. Um, and just going back as well to another point you made where you were using. Is it Bomb Bomb? Is that what it's called? Bomb Bomb. I think it's yeah. still called Bomb Bomb now. Cool. I don't use it now. Um, it's something I really ought to get back onto. I've kind of integrated that video technology across different platforms now, like WhatsApp and stuff like that. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, again, similarly, you can see when it's been read. The great thing about Bomb Bomb was it used to tell you when somebody had opened the email and yeah. when they play. And again, you know, you could kind of then time your next connection to them in terms of a, yeah. a message. I was just thinking about you and, yeah. and and whether you made a decision on what yeah. you do and they're like oh that's bizarre i've just watched your video yeah yeah it's, it's a little bit of sorcery and jiggery pokery but yeah it, it, it was a very good platform really good platform because i i use things like vidyard and loom uh and and they work really well for me when an agent might ask me uh a question let's say they email me or they whatsapp me or something and it might be seven eight nine o'clock at night and I'm like, it's too late to phone them. They've got family, like they're probably having dinner, like they're switched off now, but you know, you can still check your emails or, or send a WhatsApp. So I literally just, I'll have my laptop on, you know, by the sofa or something. I just hit record and go, Hey, Tony, Simon here. Uh, just to answer your question. And I'm sharing the screen, send it over to them. They're like, Oh my God, it's amazing. Cause if I'd said it over a voice note, still, I love a voice note, but without showing it, it perhaps wouldn't have have gone the right way. And again, that's the thing I wanted to ask you. You said about being seen, heard, known, trusted. How many times over years do a state agent say, oh, I lost it because you know, it was a third-party presentation. I saw Mrs. Smith, but Mrs. Smith came home and she said, well, Tony said 300 grand and 2%, but the other guy said 
three, two, five, and one percent. So they've yeah. gone with him. Whereas if you do a two minute video presentation and she watches that and shares that with Mr. Smith, yeah, they it's a differentiator, right? Completely. I, and again, you know, going back to um, exactly that for me to be able to put that information in front of both decision makers or three, you know, if you're dealing with a probate case, it might yeah, three or four, you know, um, you don't get to meet them all. Um, so it's very difficult then because you can bet your bottom dollar if there's three agents going, you know, probably one of them's had the chance to meet both. And I would always, you know, experience would always tell me that that agent had the better chance of securing yeah. the because they'd met both the decision makers. It's very difficult to spend 50 minutes to an hour with somebody who's 50% of the decision-making party for them to be able to then convey what you've got to say in 50 minutes to the other party. You know, it's just not what they do, is it? So for me, breaking down the barrier of that and making it easy was kind of always the way to try and do it because if you can make it easy, then you, you perhaps just open it up a little bit more than to, to invite questions. And if you can get to the point of inviting questions, you can see them as being selling, you know, buying signs, can't you? Yeah. If you know, come those objections. But I think when I go back to my days with, like your former employer, I started to move on a little bit further from that. I would kind of almost do like a very quick 90 second, two minutes using some video software. Um, I would then probably go to a screen share, like you've mentioned, you know, the Macs and, and, and Apple products this world allow you to do a screen record. I'd put my little box in the bottom corner and I'll take them through right move data. I'd take them through, you know, sold in their area. You know, the fact that we'd sold the most four bedroom detached houses, NG319 and demonstrate that we were the best offering for that client with what they had to sell uh, obviously you had to know what you were going to show them before you went into it but you know again if you can differentiate yourself and show a lot of it this guy clearly knows that the type of house we've got to sell that's kind of their been their core their core market for a little while yeah. why would you go anywhere else yeah love no it agents, no other agents will do it no other agents i don't think it's laziness i think it's time you've got to make time i know full well or you know under my own steam now yeah, I'm working damn hard and long, but I worked damn hard and long when I was employed. You know, I was I was doing three or four nights a week, late 30, 9 o'clock. You know, there was there was nights where I went on holiday and stuff, and I was working till one thirty in the morning the day before in the yeah, office. Yeah, yeah. I could hear everybody out on a Friday night. I'm away, <laughs> and there's me in this little basement cellar sort of, you know, doing work. Yeah. But, you, you know, I was always committed to the cause, always committed to the cause. But I think there are ways where you can definitely, if, you, if you're prepared to embrace the work, and it is, it is a lot of work, then it will have bigger benefits than just yeah. that one listing at the time. Just on one thing you said there, um, it, it made me chuckle inside. So I remember being sat in in my branch, uh, God, how many years ago now? can't remember, probably five years ago. I sat in my branch on a Friday night. It's probably about nine o'clock, having that same thing where people are having a few drinks, whatnot. Yeah. And uh, managing director of business walks past, sees the lights on, walks in. Oh, hello, Simon. God, you're working late. Do you fancy, do you fancy a curry? And I'm like... I'm not here by choice at nine o'clock on a Friday night. It's because it's because I've I'm trying to have my first weekend off in like two months, and I've got all these things to be doing, um, and I'm trying to get them them sources. So that was interesting to hear. Um, in terms of um, something you were saying there as well, like content for sending out like videos via email, WhatsApp, or or whatever app it's going to be. Um, I just want to share a little nugget with you, um, if I may. Um, I'm actually going to put this out on a social media post. Um, tomorrow so you'll get a bit of a 24-hour head start so basically what you can do if you're not already doing this Tony is you can go on to Zoopla and if you've gone to like Zoopla house prices and let's say for example you've gone to appraise a property today let's just call it 100 Smith Street in Grantham you can literally track that property 
and track it as whatever you want, but typically just curious. Anytime Zoopla update, updates the Zoopla estimate on that property, they email and tell you. Oh, really? So you imagine what you can do then. Quick screen recording. Mm. Hi, Tony. Uh, Simon Gates here. Just to let you know, latest data has come through from Zoop Crestmer. And actually, in the last month, it's mm. gone up by £10,000. Mm. Um, you know, it is still an algorithm. I'd have to come and have a chat with you, brother, whatever. But it's a really good excuse to be progressing the climb. I think I think there's several ways you can work that as well because of course you've you've been to the valuations you could look at them they're obviously sort of easy pickings but those who are house to sell local out the or local in the area um you know, I think it or, or even possibly local out of area house selling you'd be thinking well why well because one day they're going to buy in your area and one day they're going to want to sell and you know I'm always amazed at the amount of people who come into the area and stop for two three four years relatively short periods of time and then move on but there's lots of ways you could use that i also quite like the you know, I, I i utilize zoom for for recording screens as well so screen recording yeah. um and sort of you know being able to do you know share screen and record that and then you know compress it and send it on a, a thing as well because that again is quite a useful tool people don't think about zoom as being a way to do a presentation but actually it's a pretty cool way of doing a presentation uh, a bit like yeah. loom as well you know, there's all sorts of different ways to do that yeah definitely um so one thing i was really really keen to ask you and you you actually mentioned the word time <laughs> i was having a look at how many properties it seemed like you had for sale under offer and completed how the bloody hell are you fitting all of that in and family time and and your own your own sanity as well what what are you doing um so two days time is my 14th month anniversary um okay. started on the or my last employed contractual day was the 17th of uh, june 2021 um i think what's interesting is if you break it down from june the 18th to december the 31st the first six months were kind of like a building phase and just before christmas i'd completed on i think my 15th property in that seven month period or six and a half month period but the second six months has almost been double the first six months. So in terms of listings and sales and, and various other things, um, the short answer is I've, I've absolutely thrown myself into it, hmm. um, you know, without making this sound like, um, you know, getting the violins out and everything else. I, I'm looking at it at the moment. And my biggest challenge at the minute, honestly, is trying to find how to break away for a holiday. So we've not been able to fit in a family holiday this year. Um, but I am still very much in that fear of failing mode. I, mm. I I can't take my foot off the gas just yet. I won't take my foot off the gas because I don't want it to fail. And I know the market's in a you know the most unusual position it's been in for a while. You know, Rightmove just sent an email through saying a one point three percent fall in August prices, uh, but that's not uncommon. Apparently, that's quite common every August where the holiday yeah. comes in. Uh, but you've got to wonder whether that's the start of you know a little bit of a price easing, possibly. Um, so I don't know is the short answer. I mean, in, 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 you know, in number, it, it staggers me even now thinking about, it, you know, in terms of like signed instructions, um, it's, it's 124, um, in completions today, we've completed our 57th property. Um, and then in terms of sales through its contract, there's a, there's a pipeline of, of almost 40 units. Um, and there's five or six, which are kind of in pre-market ready mode. So they've, Kind of had the photographs done, the videos done. They're ready to go to the market when the right one comes along. We can jump on it. Um, um, what what percentage, Tony? Sorry to interject, but what percentage of those numbers you just said are recommendations, referrals, or people you've done business with previously? 
thinking one way or another. Pretty much all of them. Oh. I'm not surprised you said that, even though I said, wow. But no, you I... said to me before we hit record, you've not yet had to send out a letter to another agent's property. I hear no. that right, yeah? Yeah. I, so I've, I've, I didn't want to be like another agent where that becomes your go-to primary method of driving instructions. Yeah. I appreciate that in time. We've had it good, haven't we? We've had it good. And some could say that we've had it good and that's helped. You know, arguably at the minute, in the last 12 months, we could have taken a photograph. Well, we could have put a house on the market today and drawn it in wax crayon. My four-year-old would have drawn it in wax crayon, put it on right move and it would have sold. You know, I kind of have a very, I think all I try to create is something a bit more fine and country savils, but for the everyday man. Love that. Yeah, family. nice. So it's professionally photographed. It's video toured. Okay, it's not super sharp cinematic like some guys do, and they do a phenomenal job of it. But I think it's kind of easily consumable and easily digestible. But the way you present properties is also, it's like your digital CV. You're leaving that in the public domain forever, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, people come to look at a house I've sold in 10 years' time. My photographs will still look fantastic because they were all professionally photographed. You know, iPhones are phenomenal. If we and you were down the pub right now, Simon, having a beer and something to eat, we'd take a cute couple of snaps on an iPhone and they'd be great for that, wouldn't they? Yeah. But when you're selling something at three, four, five, six hundred thousand pounds, you know, we, we, we ought to be doing a little bit more than just taking some iPhone photographs, in my opinion. Um, you know, it's all about, we mentioned audience before, but it's your shop window. You know, your your presentation into the marketplace is your shop window. And if it looks yes. a bit rough, if it looks a bit hmm. unbalanced, if it looks a bit dark because the lighting's not great and all that, you know, you're not doing that seller any favours. But I'm also very mindful that whatever I'm listing right now will probably be something that attracts another seller in six months, in 12 yeah. months' time, as they're looking at what else sold in their street or, or whatever else it might be. So that started to pay dividends now as well. People are now getting sort of saying, I love the way you market property. I love the fact that everything's professionally photographed. I yeah. love the fact that you've got the 360 degree sort of Google street view inside the house. Yeah. And it's this, it's those small things that tell me that's kind of the right thing to do. Now there is yeah. a cost associated and I do foot the bill for that in the first instance when they first come to the market, because I don't want them to have like a, a, a hurdle that's an end, you know, barrier to entry. Yeah. You know, but but in the main, most clients have no problem in paying for professional photographs. You know, they think that's what's best. But there is a, a caveat to all this. You've got to know as an agent what your performance brings to the table. So, um, you know, I know full well that since we've started, um, I can't remember the exact cumulative total of the asking price versus the sold price, but I do know there's £568,000 above the asking price is my net cumulative achieved um, sale wow. price. So that equates to 2.7%. Okay. What was it? 2. 2.7%. Um, but that, you know, in pound notes, yeah. you know, it comes to something like just under £6,000. So I know on average, you know, okay, I've had stuff that hasn't sold for the asking price. Yeah. But I've had stuff that's sold for more. But on average per unit, that's what I hopefully bring to the table. So I like to think of that as me actually paying for myself. You know, I'm not actually taking any money out there, hard-earned money out of their pocket. I'm hopefully delivering above and beyond yeah. their expectations. And I've had one recently. This is this is quite scary for me. I I went to a property back in probably February time. Uh, she's my head teacher for my little girl at the school down the road. Um, she'd had another agent out. We talked a bit about what she had to offer. Um, it was a bit of an unusual one. It's 1,900 foot, half an acre garden. 
they'd got planning permission on a quarter acre plot in the bottom corner, which in the end actually didn't really matter one way or another. Um, but she'd had, I gave her a valuation. I thought it was kind of five, seven, five, five, eight, five, so there's money. And, um, and it was that sort of unusual look and you're thinking, well, oh, that's a tough one to call. Um, so I said, you know, what, what's your thoughts? What were you thinking? And she says, well, we had another agent out. I said, okay. She says, um, and, and they thought a bit of a different number. I thought, okay, you know, usually, of course, in this scenario, it's up here, isn't it? And they said to me, she goes, um, yeah, it was at 4.50. And we had to wow. talk about 4.75. And I thought, right, okay, what what have I missed? What have I, what yeah, have I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning myself thinking, hold on a minute, let me just go around and measure it. Okay, so I'm definitely playing with that. I definitely know the garden's wow. that. I definitely know the condition is this. I showed them a load of stuff at 4.50 and it was just like blew it out of the park. You know, what she had to offer was way, way ahead. We've, we've just exchanged on it at 585. Wow. And that 135 grand has bought them a retirement apartment overlooking the sea. Yeah. Okay. It's a significant sum of money that could have been just left on the table. And what's really, I think, scary for me about it is the agent in question may well have listed it for 475, may well have sold it for 500,000 pounds. The seller would have been over the moon. Yeah. Over the moon. But how much could they have left on? And that that's the worry, isn't it? For me as an agent, I I, I like the I like to be able to sleep at night. I like to be able to sleep at night knowing full well that all my clients have got as much money in their pocket as possible. And I'd love to be known as the agent you want to sell through but not buy through. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I want to, you know, I want my, I want my clients to know that that you know what they've got to sell is the most important thing to me. There's, there's so much for me to unpack there, Tony, if you can allow me. No, no, it's absolutely brilliant. I've written down so much and I'll probably forget half of it now. Um, uh, let me just try and run through uh, a few bits. Digital CV, I wrote that down. Love that. That's so true. I'm trying to do that myself with the stuff I put out on LinkedIn and, and Facebook. I said it in a podcast I recorded earlier uh, today where someone who's called a 10 branch estate agency sent me a, a direct message on LinkedIn and said, let's have a chat what you can do and what home search can do for a business. Never had a, never had a conversation with them. So it was that digital footprint I was leaving and that sort of Hansel and Gretel of, of breadcrumbs. You, um, never know, you never know who's watching as well. You never you, know. You, you never know. Um, and actually I'm going to, that will remind me to come on to another point as well. But um, have you ever heard, uh, and this is breaking down some of the stuff you've just said. Um, have you ever heard of the um, phrase in Hollywood where they talk about, a bluff, B-L-U-F. You probably have to expand a little bit for me. So what it basically is, it's the bottom line up front. Okay. So when producers would go to, uh, or when people who've got an idea for a film would go to producers in Hollywood or the, the ones with the money who make the decisions, they'd have to go to their bottom line up front, their bluff. And when they pitched Indiana Jones, they said it's James Bond with a hat and a whip which I think I'm a massive Indiana Jones fan. I think that sums it up brilliantly. So there was stuff you were saying, which I thought beautifully described your bottom line up front. So uh, there's too much to unpack in one bit, but you said um, you're the everyday person's like uh, fine and country savils. I might've misworded that slightly, but when you said it, I was like, for me looking at, we've never spoken one-on-one like this before, have we? So I've just, observe your content when you said that i was like i think you've described what you do perfectly like as your bottom line up front and again you just said the net of the five six eight was it the accumulative figure again someone says well how are you different to everyone else you all say you open eight days a week 27 hours a day whatever 
well, actually, so far since I launched this business, yeah. X is how much more my sellers got in their back pocket. And that's the equivalent of six grand per transaction, 2.7%. That Those few points you said there are your bottom line up front, really, which no one can replicate. I know. And I think, again, I used to pride myself on it when I was employed of knowing these things because I, I, you know, I felt as a, somebody going into somebody's house representing the company, I needed to know what we were delivering in terms of. So I used to analyse things like, um, and again, other agents may well do this. Some who are very studious may well do this. But I would analyse the first offer from the eventual buyer. Yeah. The actual agreed sale price. Yeah. Uh, look at that. And, and in some cases, it would be two and a half grand. In some cases, it would be zero. In some cases, it would be 15, 20 grand. But that's what you're bringing. That's that, you know, they're employing you as a, a marketeer first and foremost. Yeah. They're not employing like a UPBC double glazing salesperson anymore, like they used to be. So marketeer first. You've got to make the best of what this particular asset looks like to get it out to the biggest audience. If you do that, the interest will come. And then how do you nail down best best price and best buyer? Not always the same thing. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you can sometimes have the best offer, but it's not always the best buyer. There can be more risk associated. And that's not always, you know, people are risk averse. Some people, they don't want to take risks on. Some people will. They'll roll the dice and go, okay, for an extra five grand, I'll go with that person, even though they've got a chain of six or seven. Um, again, yeah. An agent, you need to understand and unpack exactly what that chain looks like. Because if that, I'm um, sorry, right? Okay, I'm just I'm sorry, sorry, Simon. That's all right. Out. Uh, I see the doorbell rang, and then my stepson just come out and said, "We've got uh, some, some poor patrol stuff's been sold." Um, <laughs> hot off the press. Um, so, yeah, the, um, the the key for me is, is, like I said, is making sure that you know. The people you're going to see who are going to be paying your fee at some point understand exactly what they're going to be getting out of you. Um, and that for me, again, how do you differentiate agents? You know, that data is not out there in the public domain. And yes, you can use get agents to look at what they've achieved, how fast. Yeah. Or, speed doesn't always equate to best sale price. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of get this cringe every time somebody says to me, oh, yeah, we sold it in six hours. <sighs> how much you left on the table? Yeah. You know, don't then as an agent go and brag about it. You know, that is, for me, it's just like, it, it's just one of the sins. You know, how do you know you couldn't have got more money if you're given a little bit longer to soak in? Do you, on that point you, you made there, and I, I, this was um, mentioned in the podcast I recorded earlier uh, today, where I think we are guilty of saying, oh, sold in six hours, like like you said. But actually, whilst on the surface it might have sold in six hours, I think the estate agent can at times be doing them a disservice because actually it might be that they've learned who that buyer is yeah. over a year, right? Yeah. You know, you've probably had it over, over your career where you sell a property pretty quickly without it going on portals. You know, it goes, can I have a discount? You go, you're paying me for all my years of experience, not the time it took me to get it sold. So, yeah, I think some agents are guilty. I've, I've definitely would have done this in the past where you say, I've sold it really quickly. And actually, if I'm if I'm the seller, I'm then going, well, hang on a minute, how much money have you left on the table? But actually, you know that you've extracted as much money as possible from that buyer. And maybe that buyer has paid top, top money because, like you said about the risk adverse, where, well, actually, if it went to the open market and that buyer then goes, oh, OK, you've pushed it to the open market, see you later. Mm. The open market then goes, we're not prepared to pay that. She had that emotional buyer who wanted to pay top money to stop it going to market so I, th I think there's a balance there but you, i think you're absolutely spot on i think we do ourselves as an industry a disservice at times by saying you know sold really quickly it should be you know i built this relationship i helped yeah. the seller get the most amount of money to, and like you said that 135,000, whatever it was that they can go get their retirement flat because 
if they, are they still are they still local to you or have they um, what one the basic essentially the, the the onward has allowed them to um you know, get gear up towards certain retirement and then um one is not in the area one is so that will be the continued home so it's okay. a bigger sale downsize okay the, the spare change if you like after the mortgage is probably paid off and everything else has kind of done that so there's still going to be friends family work colleagues ex work colleagues people at a golf club people down the pub whoever it may be where they'll be they won't just be saying yes there might be the if we'd gone with agent x they could have cost us one hundred thirty five thousand pounds so that's a big no no because again we're we're risk adverse and you've just helped them protect the value of their property or in another viewpoint you've helped them increase the value of a home made them wealthy through real estate it sounds very american but They'll remember Tony Ruby as a guy who enabled them to go and get that. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I keep saying it, but you know, it's their money; they're entitled to it. You know, we we shouldn't be. I don't think. Um, you know, a lot. Of, you know, I had a couple of cases, but one informal tender where I could sort of see the numbers were kind of three seventy five to three nine. It needed a lot of work, and it was very yeah, very nice location, lovely plot. It wouldn't have been for everybody. We ended up with I think eight offers after twenty nine viewings, so it wasn't for everybody because if it had been, we'd have twenty nine mm. offers. Yeah. But you know the range of offers there was interesting. You know, none of them were. They were all sort of minimum three eight five. Five of them were sub four hundred. Five of them were in excess. Sorry, three of them were in excess of four hundred. Um, but I couldn't see four hundred. You know, I couldn't see four hundred from the comparables and the, the very few. That's why I went down in formal tanks. There's very few comparables. But I think for me, that's the the key is stress testing the market to make sure that that client has gone away with as much as possible in their pocket. Um, and I, and I think sometimes as agents we get a little bit protective on our own views of value, yeah. uh, like it's being called into question. I don't mind. So you know, if I think if I think we can get more, that's my job. That yeah. is what I'm employed to do by these people who are trusting in me. Um, I think the problem you have sometimes though is if you then sort of almost try to navigate it down a certain route, which might mean not going to market. You know, what does the seller think in the long yeah. term? Do they think they've perhaps left a little bit on the table? Yeah, I love what you said about stress testing the market. I've never heard um, language used like that before. I like that. Um, right, before I go into the final question, we've, we've overrun uh, on what I said. Um, I'm eating into your evening in uh, sunny Grantham. Um, but I remember you saying this, and I hope you don't mind sharing it, but I'm pretty sure last summer you said on uh, Clubhouse, shout out to Matt Bulldog, you need to bring that back one day. You mentioned about taking photographs of uh, in your previous role of properties on the market which had horrendous marketing can you talk yeah. a bit about that yeah well i think i think sometimes all you've got to do is give a little bit and uh, people like to know you're thinking of them so there was one actually just across the road and it was on the market with another agent you know slightly frustrating of course i have to see their board every day when i was <laughs> driving past it um i just thought the front picture was just it just didn't do it any justice you know i was kind of out mowing the lawn so I, we were only on a small street of seven i kind of mow the, the council verges just to keep it looking nice because if we don't the council only come around about once every three years um and and i just looked at the house on this beautiful sunny day i thought that looks amazing so i took a picture of it and i went to the door and i said look i know you're on the market with the agent um this is not a sales pitch or anything else but if you want this picture i'll send it to you you send it to your agent ask them to change it for you and and it was just received really well but the same could be said about properties that don't have floor plans in this day and age you know why not then knock a floor plan up for them and give it to you know who are they going to remember you know the agent who's not really portraying their property particularly well into the marketplace or the agent who's perhaps just thinking not automatically about the the immediate win yeah. you know the 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 longer term game you know 
if they then start questioning that agent's ability because the, the marketing isn't as sharp as it should be, um, they're going to be looking at you thinking, well, I know where I'm going to go next. Surely, I, I, I would think. Um, you might get the odd one who will say, no, I've had it all done professionally, whatever. But there's different levels of professional, as we always know. You, know, you yeah. have certain things done in a certain way. But I, think, I just think sometimes, you know, I always love a, a property where you understand what, what orientation the front of the house is. So, you know, what time of day is best to go and take the picture at the front when the sun is out. And I used to have a list all the time of morning, midday and afternoon. So if it was a nice sunny morning, I'd spare 20 minutes. I'd drive around two or three locations, check them off the list, take a nice new picture. And I just thought, well, if I'm doing it for my stock, maybe I could do it for the, and it, because it just opens a few more doors. Yeah. Um, and the, the, you know, the agent who gets the picture, it doesn't need to know it's your picture. That's kind of the beauty of it. You know, it's, you're setting the seed with the seller and they're looking at it going, well, okay, so this is an agent thinking my picture's not good enough. He's not actually saying your agent's SH1 thing, but it does perhaps just put in their mind this thought of, well, maybe it's not quite as sharp as it should be. So so let's say hypothetically, you you go do that. I'm the seller in question. I then provide that photograph to my agent. They update the listing. Uh, on the portal, social media, their website, whatever. And within a week, it goes under offer and the buyer actually comments on the lovely photo, for example. Mears, the seller, is then going, oh, my God, I have Tony Ruby to thank for selling my house. And then also, again, friends, family, colleagues, da-da-da-da-da. When people say, oh, you sold your house, how how was the experience? Well, actually, my agent didn't do a great deal. Um, But this guy, Tony... Out of the goodness of his heart, came and knocked on my door and gave me a photo, which was a difference to selling or not. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I mean, maybe people will have those conversations, but I think it's just the it's a giving thing. You know, if you yeah. give with expectancy receiving, which is one of you know, my great friends Christopher Hawking always says this: if you give without the expectancy receiving, good things will happen. And I think sometimes you don't have to be sharp-tongued agent with mm-hmm. a great sales patter. You just have to sometimes think a little bit differently. So another thing I also do alongside that is is during lockdown, I couldn't. I was furloughed, couldn't talk about property on social, but I could talk to other businesses about what they were doing and, and who they were and the local businesses. And that then started to snowball. People would like, you know, okay, so you do this thing where you promote my business. How much does it cost? What's anything? You know, okay, well, can you come and help me? Yeah, I'll have a go. Of course. We'll have a go. And, and the, the, the network that I'll extend you to and the, that sort of, you know, you're giving something for nothing. People like it. So, when that, so, so hang on. So when you, when you were furloughed, and so so that was a, a, at a point when, so you, you were going out and interviewing local businesses because technically um, it was after. Doing it over Zoom. Doing it over Zoom. Oh, so over Zoom. Lockdown, uh, yeah, of course. Got. Yeah, perfect. Record the video just like this. Well, yeah. basically asking three or four or five questions. Yeah. Some were a bit long-winded. Some, yeah, you know, yeah. look at now, there's things I'd do differently, but I think that was a learning curve. And I must have done, I don't know, 20 odd or so yeah. in eight weeks. Uh, I just pushed them out to social media groups, but I'd push them out to the village groups as well. Yeah. Uh, we did some with charities. We did one, um, we, we did, just did you know, local hero type of things really, or local businesses is actually what it really was all about. Um, and then we'd kind of, when we got allowed to go out, I'd then take that to their work, their workplace. So Brilliant. people see it. And I, I would see, meet people I'd never met before. I would see businesses I didn't realize existed before. Um, services that were within our Grantham area that I just didn't know we had or even didn't know we had within 50 miles of here let alone on our doorstep 
Um, but it was just lifting the lid on these businesses. And, and and again, over time, that's then become where I'm not having to put people's arm up their back to sort of say, why don't, you have a go? Why don't we try this? They're now organically coming. And yeah. I've done a couple recently, which have been events, um, yeah. which have been sort of charity dues or charities, should I say, um, various other things. And of course, small businesses. But um, the, the, the reach of that, just doing something for nothing hopefully it garners a bit of trust and respect and yeah. um, various other things and, and just again just for me it's always a bit of my grantham you know grantham is where i live where i work where i was born and um, you know, it's what looks after me and the family so for me i just want to give something back a little yeah. bit love that right okay um i promise we're right at the end now so last two quick questions you just mentioned something about something you might have done differently so the question i've got for you tony is roll back the clock um to just over a year ago is there one thing you would do differently if you started again uh, i don't know um I, I i don't think so maybe given a bit more thought maybe um there's a couple of bits of tech i've realized exist that make my life a bit easier huh. uh, so the one thing i didn't like doing and never have liked doing is typing property brochures particularly when it's a big six bedroom detached house or five bedroom detached house you've got 16 different rooms so i use a bit of software now called otter which essentially 90 percent of the time will type what you dictate so that's saved oh, amazing. Um, and how how's how's that spelt just for the listeners otter o-t-t-e-r like the, oh, thing like the, animal. Uh, the river yeah okay. um, you get i think uh you think you get 600 minutes free every month so you don't have to pay for the software it just, it just works really well and then you can export it so I export the text, then copy it into a Word document. And nine, you've got to fettle it a little bit, but yeah. 90% of the job is done. Um, so I did the first 30 listings by literally recording it on my phone, pressing play, stop, type, <laughs> pressing play, stop, type. You know, and it, I just didn't enjoy that. Um, but no, I can't think of much. I've, I've been supported and surrounded by some phenomenal people. And you know, when I first started, uh, I had a clear idea about what I wanted to do. I wanted listing one to look like every listing was going to look like. So it was professionally photographed. It nice. was, you know, uh, everything. But the photographer was super supportive. He basically gave me, again, because I've got a good relationship with him, he, he basically become good friends. He, he basically gave me a six-month credit account where I could do as many jobs as I needed to. And as the revenue started to come, then straighten up the account and obviously move yeah. to the payment system my energy assessor did the same that allowed cash flow to remain pretty good um i, I don't think there's a lot of change uh, it was just, I just just it's been quite a whirlwind i can't believe it's 14 months um and i don't know i, I don't know um it's beyond anything i ever imagined what yeah. you know, my wife's dreams by beyond that by a long way there's been days where you sort of look at yourself and think what on earth are you doing this for <laughs> yeah yourself through the rigmarole with conveyances and mortgage, you know, all the things that we obviously we're challenged with every day. Yeah. But as long as your good days outweigh your bad days, yeah. um, I think you're, you're on to a bit of a winner. Right. Last last question now, I promise. Uh, you, again, you just mentioned about having good people around you. So, mm. again, in just over the last year, 18 months, what do you think is the best piece of advice someone's given you when it's come when it's come to setting up your own business? Someone's given me? Yeah. Or if you'd like to share a piece of advice that you give to anyone listening who might be at the start of the journey, either or I'll give you the option. Yeah. Um, advice given to me. I, I think I think I think you've got to have a clear vision. 
And you've got to believe, so this is a combination of the two, really. You've got to have a clear vision about what you want it to look like. I think you've got to believe in what you want it to look like. And then you've got to run with what you think it looks like. And you've got to really go at it. I, I see all too often people kind of, you know, it would be very easy to go, oh, yeah, the first five instructions are free. The first two instructions are half price, whatever. You know, there's lots of ways different people do that. I think you've just got to set your bar and you've just got to go with it. The one thing that I think continually amazed me when I was employed was that you could have 10 vendors of that particular company, sat, well, any any agency actually, sat around me now and you could ask them what their fee was and they'd all be on different fee structures. How's that fair? Mm. You know, in my mind, everybody's on the same Um you know, it means my integrity remains intact. If people have conversations with other people, it doesn't you know it doesn't come out in the fall that you know somebody's on a better fee rate than the other person. And I think once you make the fee all about your integrity, you try and get somebody to challenge you on that. Nobody's going to challenge you on your integrity. Um, so for me, like I said, it's just about being fair and clear with people. Um, don't know if that answers your question, but that's. Uh, kind of... I think it's more than answered the question. That last piece of dialogue make the fee about your integrity yeah you'll you'll struggle to get people challenging you on that so i think that's a very good place to end the podcast tony so uh, on behalf of myself and all the listeners thank you so much for bringing such value really appreciate it thank you for having me and really appreciate it son keep up the good work cheers tony